Amen. You may be seated, everyone. Good afternoon. It's great to see you all. For those of you visiting, my name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor at New Life. And uh, we are in a series on, uh, called Burnout, Self-Care in an Exhausted World or Caring for Your Soul in an Exhausted World. Before I get into that, in your bulletin, there is an insert. Uh, it says, the Ignatian examined for the election. Um, our goal is to keep you saved this Sunday, uh, this Tuesday, rather, all right? Um, our goal is to keep you as a Christian uh, saved, sanctified, all right? Just uh, because on Tuesday, all hell is breaking loose in this country. And so uh, you don't have to be a prophet. You know, it's just, 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 it going to get crazy. So, but the church is to be rooted, deeply rooted in Christ in the midst of turmoil and chaos. And so this is an examine. An examine uh, in the Ignatian tradition is about self-reflection and allowing yourself to examine your life, examine your day, examine your week, examine your month in such a way to find God in your examination, to produce gratefulness, to produce a life of prayer. And so on, on Monday, on Tuesday, whenever you feel your Oh, anxiety rising to the surface, or irritability, or anger, or you start attacking people, take it out, all right, and, um, and allow this to keep you uh, sane and grounded and rooted in Christ. And so um, hopefully this will be a good resource for you this week. We've been in a series talking about self-care, and self-care, we've been looking at this statement that says that self-care is never a selfish act. It's simply good stewardship of the only gift that I have. The gift I was put on earth to offer others. And that gift is you, your life. You are a gift. God created you to be a gift. And in order to uh, make the most of that gift, we must steward it, manage it. And uh, so self-care is never selfish. It's about management, stewardship of who God created us to be. And, and so one of the goals of this series has been to look beneath the surface of our lives to identify the ways that we often are prevented from doing self-care and to lead us, which often leads us to burnout. And so today we're gonna to talk about self-care and rest. Last week we talked about learning to receive. The first week was more about uh, overarching kind of approach to self-care, about being with God. But today is gonna to be about learning how to rest. A very difficult topic for many of us because we do not know, many of us, how to rest. And so let's pray. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us, to open our eyes. We're going to be in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, your phone, whatever it is, uh, you can meet me there uh, in a moment. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you long to give us deep rest. You long to meet us and anchor us and root us deeply in a world filled with anxiety. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come? Lord, if you don't open our eyes, we can't see. If you don't open our ears, we can't hear. If you don't open our hearts, we can't receive. And so, Holy Spirit, right now, touch our eyes, touch our ears, touch our hearts, that we would be open to the work of your spirit today. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. How much sleep is the election costing you? That's a question I like to begin with. How much sleep is the election 
cost any. A number of uh, news outlets have been asking this question over the past few months. Uh, and after the presidential debate, Fitbit, uh, they, you know, the app, the thing you have put around your wrist to calculate your steps and how you're sleeping, they analyzed 10 million Fitbit users and concluded that this season, this election season, has cost people an average of 10 to 15 minutes of sleep a night. Now, that might not seem like a lot, but those things have a way of adding up. And while these statistics we have uh, can give us insight into the kind of sleep that we are losing, we don't often have a way to measure the internal restlessness of our souls. We can calculate how much sleep we're losing. We can't really calculate empirically how much rest we are losing. But the reality is most of us in this country, many most of us in this room, are feeling a little more restless than usual. From the onset, I want to say that God wants to give you deep rest. That God wants you to live with a, a anchoredness, a rootedness, a life of rest. And yet, many of us uh, find this to be very difficult in this world. Now, from the onset, I want to be clear that I'm not trying to be oversimplistic here. Uh, because inevitably, whenever I talk about rest, there's some people who scoff at new life. Some people give me the side eye because they say, Rich, if you only knew my situation, you know why I don't rest. I think about parents with small children. Uh, when you have small children, you can't even spell rest, okay? It's just like, I, 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 I don't even know how to spell the word, you know? And so when I preach this message, I have you in mind. I have people who work in professions that often work around the clock. I have you in mind in this message. I think about people who have challenging health situations. I have you in mind when I think about this message. I think about people who are adult children having to care for aging parents. I think about you in this message. I think about students who have a full course load and you can't even think about rest. I have you in mind in this message. Sometimes it feels like rest is virtually impossible. And yet I want to say that as followers of Jesus, in light of whatever reality we face, that rest is a possibility, that rest is available. Now, I want to make a distinction between cultural self-care as it pertains to rest and kingdom self-care as it pertains to rest. And this distinction is very important for us to see, and I like to explain it this way, that cultural self-care sees rest as an escape from the cares of life, whereas kingdom self-care sees rest as entry into God's care for my life. That's a big difference to hold on to, a big distinction to hold on to, that the kind of self-care as it pertains to rest is not about escape. It's about entry into God's care for my life. And this is the kind of rest, deep rest, that Jesus wants us to have. It's the kind of deep rest that Jesus shows over and over again in the scriptures. And this is what we pick up in Mark chapter 4, where we see Jesus experiencing deep rest. In Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35, hear the word of the Lord. It says, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall, a storm came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Many of us, that's a picture of our lives today. You are feeling swamped by life. And Jesus was in the stern, in the back of the boat, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher... Don't you care if we drown? 
He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, or peace, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other. Notice the progression. They were first terrified of the storm. Now they're terrified of Jesus, who calmed the storm. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. In our text, Jesus gets on a boat with his disciples, something that they did on a regular basis, seeing that these disciples were fishermen. And when they get into the the boat, they find themselves in a storm. And I would say parenthetically that you could be in the center of God's will and find yourself in a storm. They get in a storm, but this is not just a normal storm. It's a different kind of storm. They're used to storms because they're used to being on the water. But this time, it's not a normal storm. And you can see that from the way they react. The disciples are filled with a great sense of anxiety. And not only because of the storm, but because of what the waters represented. In their worldview in the first century, the waters represented the place of the deep, the place of spiritual powers and warfare. This is the place of of battle. This is the place of cosmic wrestling with each other. And so this is more than just rain. This is more than just wind. This is the place, the dwelling place of all deep evil forces. The water is. And time and time again in the scriptures, you see this battle between God and the waters. In the beginning of Genesis, it says that God created the heavens and the earth, and the Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the chaos, of the, over the waters, and creates order out of chaos. In the book of Exodus, Pharaoh has the people of God enslaved, and the way that God delivers them is through water, as if to say that these evil forces, these powers and principalities are nothing for God. When we see Jesus in this text, he's trying to do something similar as well. And so Jesus is in this text, and what we want to see here is this massive contrast between Jesus and his disciples. And his disciples often form uh, as a mirror for us. When we look at the disciples, it's often a picture of our lives. And what we see in this text is that their response to the storm is different from Jesus' response to the storm. While the disciples are screaming, Jesus is sleeping. They are in a place of panic. They find him sleeping, and in verse 38, they say, the disciples woke him and said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? This, their anxiety has caused them to doubt the trustworthiness of Jesus. And that's what anxiety does for us. It makes us doubt whether Jesus is trustworthy. And many of us, maybe this past week, you've wondered, Lord, do you care about me? Lord, do you see the situation that I am in? And their restlessness revealed something about them. Their restlessness revealed that they did not really trust in Christ. Now, interestingly enough, before this, Jesus has been performing miracles. Jesus has been opening the blind eyes. Jesus has been opening deaf ears. Jesus has been casting demons out. But they feel like this storm is too much. And often that's how we live, don't we? We have faith for certain areas of our lives, and we think God can move here. But then we look at other areas of our lives, we say, God can't do anything there. We have faith for certain things and very little faith for the other. They had faith to see Jesus cast out demons, but they didn't have faith to see Jesus calm the storm. And at the core of this is the issue of trust. Wherever there is little trust, there will be little rest. 
Where there's no trust, there's no rest. Where there's little trust, there's little rest. We see this on so many levels. We see this in relationships, don't we? When there's little trust in a relationship, oh man, there's little rest. Think about your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your husband, your wife. If you don't trust your boyfriend, if you don't trust your girlfriend, if you don't trust your wife, if you don't trust your husband, there's very little rest. A text message comes and you go, uh, who is that? <laughs> because when there's little trust, there's little rest. They say, hey, I'm going out for a couple hours. Uh, and and where, where, where are you going? And where are you going? Why? Because when there's little trust, there's little rest. Don't we see this when we drive? You're in the passenger seat. You don't trust the person driving. You're not taking a nap. You're breaking with them, you know? Did you see the little kid walking across the When there's no trust, there's no rest. When you jump on a plane, if you don't trust the pilot, if you don't trust the plane, if you don't trust aerodynamics, there is very little rest. When there's no trust, there's no rest. When you go into the barber shop and you don't trust your barber, there's no rest. When I go to my barber, I love my barber. I'm able to just see him and go, what's up? And then, you know, there's nothing to work here with, really. But I say, take your time. I want you to take your time, all right? Because uh, this thing could be done in three minutes. Take your time, all right? Because what I want to do is I want to rest. I want to take a little nap. I want to close my eyes. And he says, do you want me to do the blade? Do whatever it takes. I just want to sit down and relax. Where there is trust, you can rest. And then there's that barber that you don't trust. Heck, that nobody trusts. There's always that one barber where the barber shop is full and there's that one guy in the barber shop, his chair is empty. And he's the first guy to greet you when you walk in. And you walk in, he goes, my brother, I got something for you right here. And if you're new to the barber shop, there's people all over the place. You know there's a reason why no one is sitting in his chair. He's always the happiest person. He's always the most energetic person. He's always the person that has no one in his chair, no one sitting there. Why? Because when there's no trust, there's no rest. Last month, I had to sit in that guy's chair. I was in a rush, and, and I, I, I walked in. The guy said, there's five before you. I said, five? You know, can I, can I give you extra 20? Five? No, five before you. And the guy is smiling. Yes, I got, I got you right here. I got you right here. So I sat down and did not close my eyes for a second. I had to finish the haircut. I, I just, let me just give me the, I'll just finish it myself, bro. I appreciate it, thanks, I'm leaving. Because when there's no trust, there's no rest. The same applies to God. When there's no trust with God, there's no rest. When you don't trust God, you're filled with anxiety. When you don't trust God, you're filled with uneasiness. When you don't trust God, you're tossed to and fro. In our struggles to trust God, it's a reality that we have and we live with almost every day for many of us. And yet when we look at this passage, we see Jesus shows us a different way. While the disciples are screaming, Jesus is sleeping. While they are freaking out, Jesus is in the back of the boat sleeping. Now, when we read stories like this, these stories are to do two things in us. We are to, first of all, see the true identity of who Jesus is. 
When we see stories in the Gospels, we are to see that Jesus is more than just a godly man. Jesus was the God-man. We are to see his identity, and we are to look at the passage and live, look with awe and wonder and amazement and worship that he's more than a teacher, he's more than a prophet. He is the son of the living God. He's the God-man. But when we read passages like this, we are to be reminded that our lives are to take on the character of Jesus because he lives inside of us, and our lives are to look more like him than these disciples. In the middle of a storm, Jesus is sleeping. Now, it's interesting, in the Gospels, there's only one time where you see Jesus sleeping. It's here. The only time you see Jesus sleeping in the Gospels is in the middle of a storm. But when he sleeps, he sleeps for a different reason than the disciples sleep. The time where the disciples are seen as sleeping is seen at the end of the Gospels where Jesus is about to go to the cross. He says, listen, guys, I'm about to die. I'm about to go to the cross. Can you wait up with me and pray with me? And they are so exhausted. They're so perhaps filled with depression and anxiety that they sleep their troubles away. They can't stay up with him. And so these disciples sleep out of a sense of anxiety and depression. Jesus sleeps out of confident trust in God. And not only does he sleep, the gospel writer Mark wants to add a detail into it. The other gospel writers say that Jesus was sleeping in the boat. The gospel of Mark says an additional detail that they miss. He says, not only is he sleeping, he's sleeping on a cushion. That's how at peace Jesus is. He's not just sleeping. He's sleeping on a cushion. He's in a deep sleep. He's snoring sleep. And Jesus is at such a place in his relationship with God that the chaos of the storm and the anxiety of people around him does not affect him. And let me say as a side note that when you root yourself in God, the chaos that's happening around you and the anxiety of people will not come near you when you root yourself in God. This is why the psalmist can say in Psalm 91, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, he is my fortress, he is my God, and him will I trust. Later on he says that a thousand shall fall at your side and 10,000 at your right side. But it shall not come near you. When you root yourself in God, the chaos of the storm and the anxiety of people around you will not come near you. And if there's any time where we need this, it's this time. It's this week. It's this year. That Christians should be the most rooted people abiding in God. And so Jesus is sleeping. Now, the reason Jesus is sleeping is because he knows that his father is in control. It's one thing to rest when things are good. It's another thing to rest when there's a storm. Rest is, is not about ignoring reality. I just want to just say this. Rest is not about uh, li living as an emotional robot. Rest is not about uh, ignoring things. It's about finding stability in the midst of reality. It's not about ignoring. My wife says that I have an amazing gift to ignore the cries of my children. <laughs> it's a gift. I, I, they can whine and cry, and I'm okay watching the game. They can whine and cry, I'll do a sermon. They can whine and cry. I, can, I think it's a gift that many men have. It's a spiritual gift that men have to just ignore the cries of their children. What cry? I don't hear anything. I am just fine. 
Rest, however, is not about ignoring reality. Rest is about finding stability in the midst of whatever reality you find yourself in. And so rest ultimately is a quality of the interior life that allows us to live at ease in confident trust in God. That's what the kind of rest that God wants to give you this morning, this afternoon. He wants to give you the kind of rest that enables you to live at ease in confident trust in God. How could Jesus do this? Well, I would submit to you that Jesus was able to rest because he knew that the Father was always with him and that he knew that the Father was always active. He could sleep because he knew that God was working. And some of you have lost sleep in recent days and you gather on Sunday mornings to hear the good news that God is working. God is always working in your life. We gather on Monday through Saturday. We might not be able to see it, but on Sunday we are given a new set of eyes to see God's activity in our world. And you might not see it, but I'm here to announce good news that God is working. And some of you have lost sleep over a situation at home, but God is working. And some of you have lost sleep over a financial situation, but God is working. Some of you are in relational tensions and loneliness, but the good news of the gospel is God is working. How do I know? Because Jesus says it. He says, my father is always working. And because the father is always working, Jesus can rest. Because the father sits on the throne, Jesus can sleep on a boat. I love how scripture describes God over and over as the one who sits on the throne. I love that it doesn't say the one who paces around the throne. God is not anxious. It doesn't say the one who's biting his fingernails on the throne. He sits in a place of stability. He sits in a place of anchoredness, He's rootedness. He sits on the throne, and because he sits on the throne, Jesus can sleep on a boat. And God invites us to this kind of life of deep, abiding rest. And so the disciples wake Jesus up. I imagine Jesus gets up, and he's taking stuff out of his eyes. He's having a good time. He wakes up, and, and they're all messed up. And he, say, he gives a word, and he, he says, he got up, he rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Peace, be still. And the wind died down and was completely calm. And this is what God wants to do in your life today. God speaks peace, be still. Over the chaos of your interior world, peace, be still. Over the anxiety that permeates your life, peace, be still. Over the frustrations that often flood your soul, peace, be still. When Jesus says, peace, be still, two things are at work here that we want to see. Number one, it's an unmistakable allusion to the Old Testament. Psalm 104 said, at your rebuke, the waters fled. And Jesus is saying, what it, the God that you saw active in the Old Testament is the God who's standing before you right now. And so his disciples are to see this sense of continuity between the Old Testament and Jesus. Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment of that which we read about in the Old Testament. And Jesus rebukes the storm, commanding it to be silent. The same way he talks to demonic powers, he talks to this storm. He puts a muzzle on the storm. He tells it to be quiet and be still. And this is what Christ wants to do to us. He wants to rebuke the storms that's inside of us. Peace, be still. The peace that came to the waters is the peace that God wants to send your way. But the world needs more than ever 
is a church that demonstrates peace. And when I say peace, I'm talking about the full range of that word. God wants us to be people of peace in such a way that we don't use violence to solve our problems. God wants us to be people of peace in such a way that wherever we go, we bring shalom. God wants us to be people of peace in such a way that we are a non-anxious presence in a world of chaos. This Tuesday, the world will be filled with anxiety. Stock markets will fluctuate. Blood pressure is going up and down. Attitudes left and right. And in the midst of all this chaos, what God is looking to form is a community of non-anxious people. A community, listen, we are to be the non-anxious people of our city. Christians should be standing outside polling booths this Tuesday, looking at the crowd saying, peace, be still. (laughs) When someone walks in, peace, be still. And when they walk out, peace, be still. How are we going to say that if we look just like the world? We are to be people rooted in God so that when we, when we see the events of our world, we can speak with the authority of Jesus, peace, be still. Look at your neighbor and say, peace, be still. Look at the other neighbor and say, peace, be still. Some of you came in with anxiety, peace, be still. Financial trouble, peace, be still. Election anxiety, peace, be still. Kids acting crazy at home, peace, be still. You can't stand your boss, peace, be still. Someone cut you off, peace, be still. Peace, be still. That's what Jesus is inviting us to. He's inviting us to a kind of stability, a kind of rootedness. Peace, be Now, at this point, you might be saying, what does this have to do with self-care? Rich, I thought this sermon was about self-care. What does this have to do with self-care? It has everything to do with self-care. Because when you know who is in control, when you know who is working, you can rest. Let me say it this way. When you know who is in nonstop control of the world, nonstop care of the world, you can stop to care for yourself. When you trust in the God who is in nonstop care, he is working 24-7. You can stop to care for yourself. And I want to talk about three ways to stop. What does it mean to stop to care for yourself this week? What does God want to produce in us? Three practices. The first one is this. The first one is sleep. God wants to form sleep in you. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is sleep. Just not now. That's not spiritual. That's not, that, God's not happy. Uh, you know, just, uh, but the most spiritual thing you can do sometimes is sleep. This is why I love what Dale Bruner said. Dale Bruner says, at times, sometimes, uh, sleep with confidence pleases Jesus more than prayer with fear. In other words, Jesus would rather have us sleep with confidence then be up all night praying with fear. Sometimes Jesus is saying, go to, I'm tired of these prayers. Take a nap. Go to sleep. And Lord, let me pray some more. Lord, we pray out of our fear. Sometimes sleep with confidence trust, uh, pleases Jesus more than prayer with fear. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. 
out of a place of trust. To say, I don't know what else to do, but Lord, I'm trusting you. I'm going to sleep. Lord, I can't finish this job. I don't know what to do. I'm going to sleep. And, and my hope this week is that you would hear the Holy Spirit whispering to you, go to sleep. Go to sleep. Take a nap. Go to sleep. Isn't that a good word? Ooh, that, the Holy Spirit is moving in this place. I can feel this. Like everybody's, thank you, Pastor. Yes, yes, yes. The Spirit of God, go to sleep. Why? Because at times sleep with confidence pleases Jesus more than prayer with fear. And so how do we, you know, cultivate? When you sleep, you're saying, I trust. When you sleep, you're saying, the world doesn't revolve around me. When you sleep, you're saying, Lord, you're going to have to cover up the gaps of my life. We are invited to sleep. And some of us don't sleep because we don't want to miss out. Some of us don't sleep because we have so much to do. But may this passage reorder our lives. May we hear the Holy Spirit say, go to sleep. And may we do it in trust in God. This passage invites us to not just a, a sleep, but invites us to a life of Sabbath rhythms. And Sabbath is really about disconnecting from a restless culture. That our world is restless. Our world experiences so much restlessness. Sabbath, a 24-hour period to stop, to rest, to delight, to contemplate, to enjoy the gifts of creation, to slow down, to chew our food, to get off the, the fast lane, to avoid a life of competition, to slow down, to cultivate and enjoy the gifts of God. That one day a week for 24 hours, we are invited to keep Sabbath. And this is something at New Life we talk about over and over and over and over again. And my Sabbath is from 6 p.m. Friday to 6 p.m. Saturday. That we slow down to chew our food. We slow down to see people. We slow down to enjoy creation. We slow down to play and to pray. And many of us are living a life nonstop, seven days a week, but you are not made to live seven days a week. One day a week, you must stop and rest and delight and contemplate. Jesus, as a Jewish man, would have been doing Sabbath all the time, part of his rhythm part of his journey, part of his story, we are invited to keep Sabbath. And the reality is when we, that we don't keep the Sabbath, the, the Sabbath keeps us. It strengthens us. Pastor Rich, do I have to keep the Sabbath? Not a chance. You get to keep the Sabbath. It's a privilege. It's a gift. It's a joy. And so what does it mean to rest? It means that we, we sleep. It means that we, we Sabbath. And lastly, the invitation for all of us this week is that to live a life of deep rest and trust in God means it's a life of, of silence, a life of, of being with God. I don't know how else to explain it, but being with God, friendship with God, a life rooted in God, a life of consistently just showing up, consistently sitting down, consistently listening to the voice of Jesus. A life that consistently, as Eugene Peterson said, it's a long obedience in the same direction. It's us doing the same things over again in a long direction. It's the same direction, a long obedience. That's the kind of life that God is calling us to. It's the kind of life that we keep showing up and saying, Lord, you're going to have to meet me here. It's a life that, and God wants us to create this kind of life. 
especially when there's no storms in our lives, when there's no challenges and no storms in our lives, God wants us to create such a life with him so that when the storms actually come, you're not tossed to and fro. You have such a life with God in the good times that when the bad times come, you're not tossed to and fro. I thought about this a couple of years ago. Uh, some of you, or maybe many of you know that uh, I had uh, tuberculosis of my lymph nodes. And for about three months, I didn't know exactly what it was. All I knew was one morning I woke up and my neck was incredibly sore. I had night sweats for weeks. I had fevers. I lost my appetite. And I had these glands that were very swollen under my neck. I had no clue what it was. And so I, I would see these uh, doctors and get biopsies. And that, it's, when you do not know what's happening here, the anxiety levels begin to rise. I start wondering. My wife was pregnant at the time. I start wondering, will I be able to see my son grow up? Will I be able to uh, see my daughter continue to grow up? All these thoughts, and then the evil one comes, and all of a sudden you're living with anxiety, not able to sleep. And for a number of days, especially at the beginning, I had a hard time sleeping at night. I had a hard time even reading the Bible. It almost felt when I was, when I couldn't even open the Bible. To open the Bible and turn a page was like lifting a 300-pound rock just to turn a page. And yet I remember my grandfather. My grandfather for seven months discipled me when I first became a Christian as a 19-year-old. And every day I would meet with him for about two to three hours. And the days that I didn't meet with him, because I said, Grandpa, I, I don't want to meet today, he'd give me assignments. And the assignments were to memorize scripture. And he said, I want you to memorize this passage and this passage and this passage. And I'm giving you a week, and we'll talk about it. And he said, because when you, there's going to come a time where you'll be so weak, you can't even read the Bible, you're going to have to go with what God has already put in your heart. And I would memorize entire psalms. I'd memorize Psalms 23, and the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I memorize Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? Memorize Psalm 91, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Entire psalms. And I remember two years ago or so, I could not even open the Bible. Anxiety filled but I had the Psalms in my heart. Taking a shower or walking, I just, Lord, you are my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? You are the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat of my flesh, they stumbled and fell. A host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. War shall rise against me, this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after. I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. Secret of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted above my enemies round about me. Therefore, shall I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I sing praise unto the Lord. And over and over, I just quote psalms to God and pour out my heart before God. 
And there came a time in this two years ago or so, I started reading scripture over it, and I came to, Psalm, to Colossians 1. They said, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And it was at that moment that God did something in me. I received rest from my anxiety. And I came to the conclusion that I said, like, 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 the, like the famous saying goes, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. I came to a point saying, Lord, whatever it is, whatever comes is going to come. My life is hidden with you. My life is hidden with you. And the reason why God wants us to have a life with him when everything is going right is because things don't always go right. And when things go wrong, you can stay rooted in God. Why do we talk about prayer all? Pastor Rich, we're talking about Sabbath again. Pastor Rich, we're talking about silence again. Pastor Rich, we're talking about the Bible again. Pastor Rich, the reason we do all that is because I know trouble comes. Sickness comes. Challenges come. Fragmented relationships come. And if you do not have a life with God, you are going to fall apart. But if you can be rooted in God and stay with him, when things are good, when things get bad, you'll be rooted too. Amen. Let's pray together. I want to invite the folks who are going to be offering communion to come forward. Where do you need to trust God today? Where do you need to trust God today? Where are you feeling restlessness in your soul? Maybe you are afraid of what's happening in this country. Maybe you are afraid of what's happening in your home at your job. Whenever we gather on Sundays for worship, we gather to have a kind of exchange. We exchange our anxiety and take on his peace. We exchange our fear and take on faith. And the way we do that is by confessing our own struggles before God. So I want to give you just a couple moments to offer your own challenges and restlessness before God, and then I'll lead us to take communion together. Let's just pause for a moment and offer in the silence of your own heart, what are you anxious about, fearful about, restless about, and offer it to God today. Amen. Let's all stand together. We come to the table of communion because it is Christ who has purchased for us rest through his death and through his resurrection. And so when we come to the table, we come 
to receive this gift of rest. Christ says it is finished on the cross. And because of his finished work on the cross, we can experience a deep abiding rest. And so when we come to communion, we are what we eat. We get to take in the life of Jesus so that rest would permeate our souls and permeate our lives. Let's pray this prayer of confession as the people of God and the ushers will lead us together. Let's put that, um, can we put that prayer of confession on the screen? Together. Almighty God, my heavenly Father, I have sinned against you through my own fault, in thought, in word, in deed, in what I have done, in what I have left undone. For the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, forgive me all my offenses, and grant that I may serve you in newness of life, to the glory of your name, amen. Come forward, take the bread and the cup, and go back to your seat, and I'll lead us together. For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So as the people of God, let's take the bread. Amen. As we close, I want to invite our prayer team to come to my left. Some of you today, you came in with anxiety, restless, fearful, scared, and yet Jesus wants to meet you today. He wants to take your fear and replace it with rest. And so we've come, we've worshiped together, we've heard a the good news proclaimed, we've taken the bread and the cup together, and we end with a time of prayer. Because it's in prayer as well that the body of Christ gathers together, and we're able to, God moves in ways that's hard to understand when we simply pray for one another. And so for whatever need you have, you can come forward to receive prayer. And maybe some of you today, you're not even a Christian. Maybe you've never said yes to following Jesus, and you live with a sense of uneasiness, restlessness. And I want to let you know that Jesus is calling you by name today, inviting you to follow him, inviting you to say, Lord, would you forgive me my sins? Lord, I want that exchange to take place. I want to give you my restlessness and receive your rest. St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And Jesus is the place, the person that we find our deepest rest. And so if you've never said yes to Christ, you can come up for prayer. Or maybe today you're just feeling restless and anxious. We'd love to pray for you as well. But as we close, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive. We close every gathering like this because 
This is a sign of receiving. We cannot give what we have not received. And this week, God wants to overflow you with a deep sense of rest. And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you and shine his face upon you and flood you with peace. May you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, hearing the invitations of Jesus to sleep and to Sabbath and to enjoy silence and friendship with God. And may you be rooted in his love and in his grace so that when trouble comes, you will not be tossed to and fro, but you will be rooted in him. And may that sense of rest permeate your life and be expressed in a world desperately longing for stability and peace. And may you be that peace. May you be that stability wherever you go this week. And so I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus. And everyone said,